this is episode number 21 with UC Salovara, co-founder and managing partner of Andler Asia. Welcome to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. My name is Andrew Senduk, a former banker turned tech entrepreneur. And in each episode, I interview the movers and shakers of the venture capital and investment space in Southeast Asia, with the only goal to help you discover how to raise more capital, build better companies, and to give you a better understanding of the people behind the biggest funds in the region. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now let's get started. All right, beautiful people, welcome to a new session. Uh, today, I am uh, pleased, I'm excited to be with Yusi uh, Salovara, who is co-founder and managing partner of Antler Asia. Yusi uh, had an interesting journey from the corporate side, going into the innovation and tech space, uh, or working with brands like uh, Pharma McKinsey, uh, Deloitte, and Nokia, where he had a big stint, a big, uh, big few years he spent there. And after that, actually, you're co-founded Antler. You're on the board and slash investor in different, different startups, uh, amongst others, uh, Something On and Eralo. Uh, Antler is everywhere. Uh, so I'm really excited for today. Uh, UC, welcome to the show. Uh, how are you doing? Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing great. I'm in uh, quarantine in Singapore. No better time, you know. Uh, yes. I get a lot of calls in, work with people, help them. So it's a great time to be alive. I mean, I wish this COVID thing would be over, obviously, but so yeah. does everyone else. But uh, it's all good, man. It's all good. It's all good. Hey, you see, so, I mean, uh, let's, let's just kick it off, right? I mean, Antler is, is I said, you're, you're everywhere. But of course, you have like specific hubs everywhere, like uh, is in Europe, you're in Asia. Uh, maybe you can share a bit more on uh, on Antler itself right now, like where are you guys at, uh, where are your focus regions, and how the fund is kind of like structured. For sure, for sure. So Antler is a global early stage uh, firm. We have different VC funds in different uh, regions. We started out here in Singapore, which is headquarters and sort of home for us. But right now we are uh, in 15 locations globally. Um, and many more to come. We we have different vehicles and we're, we're uh, all the time looking for ways to support founders better. So we're really characterized by putting founders first, uh, leaving that sort of value instead of just saying it. And uh, already in the last three and a, well, actually three years, uh, it's only three years, time flies, but you know, it's a short time if you take a step back. Yes. We have invested into more than 300 companies globally. Um, so we started in Singapore, like I said, quickly uh, set up uh, Sydney in Australia. And then we have right now five locations in Europe. We have India. We just launched Korea and Canada. And obviously, we also have a setup in the U.S. where we're constantly expanding. So, you know, it's uh, we're getting started. Uh, so definitely don't look like look at it as if we would be already there. But, uh, you know, we've taken the first uh, baby steps in a long journey where we hopefully become a global powerhouse. Wow. And I'm proud to say recently we uh, guess Tech in Asia is doing these most active investors. Uh, lists and in Southeast Asia, we just uh, took the number one spot. Uh, wow! So congrats, man! Congrats! So, uh, quite proud of that. Yeah, for sure. And then especially uh, thinking about the fact that you just started like three years ago uh, and already invested in three hundred companies—that is that is insane, man. 
Uh, which brings me to an interesting topic, right? I mean, uh, just to, to, to shine a bit on your, on your career, we talked about it quickly before our uh, interview started, but uh, how was that journey, you know, going from Nokia, big telecom powerhouse, uh, going into this whole very agile, very uh, hyper-growth uh, startup ecosystem? Like, what was, what was the reasoning behind that, that move out of the corporate scene? First of all, I, I got to say, I love it. I, I think that's the that's the simple answer to the yeah. how has it been. Yeah. Um, well, a bit of the background there. I mean, um, I had you know started out my career in investments. Then I worked at McKinsey, kind of thinking that that's a good business school. Uh, spent five years there, and then I, I went went to work for Nokia. Like I said, like the perhaps the more corporate side of tech um, in different commercial and product management roles. Uh, you know, comfortable uh, job, you know, executive roles, and then uh, bored out of my mind. And then, um, you know, my, my old uh, colleague from McKinsey days, Magnus Grimland, who's our CEO, uh, we caught up and, you know, he had the idea to uh, start building Antler. And he asked if I wanted to join the founding team. And I had, uh, you know, started making some angel investments and, uh, you know, advising friends and family startups. And I was really excited by the speed and the innovation of, of that sector. While, like said, being bored out of my mind in my day job. And I basically made the emotional decision to go, you know, jump on board in, I don't know, 15 seconds or something. And then it took me a few weeks to convince my wife and then it took me a few months to get rid of my previous commitments and uh, move, you know, move over. And and here we are. So so the rest is history. And uh, it, it's been quite an interesting transition. Um, and I'm I'm very happy of the fact that you know, despite having been in an executive role where you kind of have an assistant, you have this and that, I approached this a hundred percent with the learning mindset basically uh saying i know nothing mm. and then immersing myself um you know in, in different parts of of the kind of sector if you will mm. and and you know luckily i'm a relatively less fast learner so um you know it's i've learned a lot as well but is, uh, here we are so yeah. uh, a few years later and uh now i can say i, I know uh, quite a bit about the space <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that's that's such interesting interesting journey, right? I mean, um, uh, when we look at the VC space or investment space in general, I think there's uh, two ways of thinking. Where you say like, okay, you know what? Uh, how how can investors be great investors, right? You could say like, okay, these investors uh, used to be entrepreneurs. Uh, they sold their company and become an investor, which would mean like, okay, they walk the path. Uh, they know what what's good, what's not good, what to look at. You know, especially in this hyper growth context we live in. And then there's the, uh, let's say, more financial investors, the typical investment bankers you know, uh, or PE guys who, who launch this. Uh, but then, of course, there's also like corporate guys who, uh, who move into that space, right? Um, how do you look at it? I mean, especially from coming from the corporate side and then going suddenly into this VC space where it's all about investments, where it's about product market fit, where it's about hyper growth. Um, what were kind of like the, 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 the big learnings for you personally, like moving into this quote-unquote fast-paced environment that you really had to catch up or learn about kind of like get a grip on, on on what this is about especially when you think about you know the 300 investments in the last couple of years yeah fantastic question uh let me first say one thing which is that 
like if I look at my background prior to Antler, I would never hire myself. <laughs> if I think about, uh, you know, let, let me get a partner to, you know, be involved in running a VC fund. So, mm. you know, I, I don't think from that point of view, it's the right background. Now, luckily, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome. So, you know, it's worked <laughs> out well, but but uh, and I don't think the investment banker background is uh, that good either. Uh, you know, no offense to anyone from VC who might be listening. Southeast Asia is full of profiles like that. But at the same time, it's also not a purist like, you know, Silicon Valley would have this. Oh, you need to have built a company and exited it. And then only then you can become a VC. Mm, mm. That's bullshit. as Well, mm. right. So many, many different ways to do it. But um you know, in terms of what to learn, I think the biggest mindset shift in terms of what companies need to do that at least I saw when you go from, uh, you know, corporate to early stage is to go from planning to testing loops. Mm. So instead of doing this, oh, we, you know, plan everything to a T and then only then we start executing to go from that to the the testing loop mindset is you know you it's easy to understand on an intellectual level but then to actually get it to be part of your dna and go out there and do it uh it's actually quite difficult and this is something that we try to like hammer into the heads of all of the kind of corporate career shifters who go from corporate backgrounds to start building a startup because obviously we, you know, I think Antler is a great um, partner for people like that when it comes to, you know, building a business and, and, you know, us being a partner in their journey. But so we can actually teach them about that stuff. But, but that is one of those things where your instincts are automatically wrong and, and you need to kind of rewire your brain on that. I love that, man. I love that. Because I think that's the, that's the fundamental paradigm any entrepreneur should have. It's less talking and more doing. And uh, exactly. at the end of the day, at the end, when we talk about product market fit, I mean, like you said, it, it, it's all about testing. It's actually putting your, mar- putting your product actually into the market that you have or the customer that you have in mind, right? And seeing if your supposedly benefits are actually really benefiting the customer. I love that, man. I love that. Yeah, and when, yeah. you, when you think about your, your demo days, for example, and Antler is pretty big on like demo days, right? Where a lot of entrepreneurs, they, they get together. Well, first, maybe you can share a bit more. Like, um, uh, how do, how do the demo days work? How can entrepreneurs, how, how can they apply? And kind of like, what's kind of like the, the whole process around, let's say these 300 investments that you are, uh, that you are now? Sure. So maybe one step back into how we actually do things and what makes us special. So when it comes to the different locations we have, we run what we call venture generation programs. And these are programs that you can apply to pre-team as an individual. And in these programs, we form teams. So we match you with your co-founder and uh, then, you know, we help you find the right business model and we work with you. And, you know, at the, at the end of a 10 week period, we end up then deciding who we decide, you know, invest in and and become part of their journey for the longer term. Uh, So the demo day is actually at the end of a six month program. Um, And, you know, if I think about uh, who would be the right people to apply to Antler, 
the answers, everyone. Uh, so, you know, we've had uh, great profiles like exited entrepreneurs, like, you know, early employees in uh, early stage startups. We had like, you know, for example, three out of the first 50 employees of Gojek uh, have been in our program and so forth and so forth, right? Um, so then the, and the funnel works so that we typically have several thousand applicants and, you know, the, the, there's 100 starting slots in a way in, in one program. And, you know, it's quite experienced people on average 10-ish years of professional experience for the people who, who come in. So, you know, after this six-month period, you then have the demo deck and that one we're now doing fully virtual and I don't think we're going back. So this is one of those changes that COVID brought yeah. that is, you know, hugely valuable. So, you know, we used to have the demo day in a theater in Singapore, uh, 400 people, maybe Max can fill in and, you know, it's a, uh, it's a great event and you have great bonding, but it's only 800 eyes on uh, your team. Whereas, um, in the virtual demo day, we now are, are at a rate where we get sort of 3,000 people watching. So we've kind of multiplied that by a, by a long margin. Um, so, you know, I don't think we're going back. And, you know, that demo day is really the start of the next fundraising cycle. Uh, so we typically put in 100,000 for 10% USD. Uh, so we are kind of, in some sense, we're the riskiest of uh, all the investors in the sense that, you know, you can come to us with nothing, yeah. just yourself and your talent. Yeah. yeah. Think about Y Combinator, they would, uh, you apply as a team and you typically need, you need, need to build your business for months before you actually have a shot, right? Yeah. Um, so to us, you can come with just your talent and aspirations and, you know, start building there. That's amazing. That's, uh, that's a very interesting approach, right? Because uh, just zooming out on the VC space, I mean, there's, of course, different flavors, uh, different firms, uh, big and small. Uh, but actually, what you guys are doing is going, going almost to the root, right? Because people come, they, they, they join, they join the, the platform, they join Antler from that, like you said, with their talents and with their ideas or dreams. And then from that moment on, you kind of like... Uh, coach them, help them to, to get their business up and running. And eventually, if everything goes well, then they would get a, a check. That's right. And you don't even need to have an idea, just to be clear on that. Okay. So if 100 people, so if 100 people come in and everyone has a strong idea they're sticking with, uh, you know, we can't match everyone, anyone up, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what the, obviously it turns out that when you have passionate, talented driven people who want to build a business and they join a program like this, they have ideas, mm, mm. but then we have our own process for figuring out what's the right uh, team match and what's the right uh, idea for that team to build. End of the day, it's obviously the founder's decision. Yeah. We are just there to facilitate everything. Yeah. It happens that actually people come into the, uh, in, come into Andler, come into the group with, uh, with an idea. Uh, they want to build mm -hmm. X, but they come in and based on your, let's say, algorithm or based on your, uh, you know, requirements, you match them with someone else and they build Y. 
Yeah, so so it's not exactly like that. Uh, the way it works is that you start as a batch. I mean, this is the Singapore model. There's different variants in different parts of the region. Okay. Yeah. In Singapore, the way we do it is that, you know, 100 people start day one and you start getting exposed to everyone. So, you know, obviously now we're using virtual tools uh, in times of COVID that everyone talks to everyone on some level. And then through these workshops we run, you start working with different people because that's the only way to try to understand if a working relationship can work. Yeah. And then over the course of the first, let's say five weeks, six weeks, uh, you've tested multiple different dance partners. And at some point you realize, hey, you know, this might actually work with someone and you keep working with them and you can always, of course, still break up. But, you know, you start galvanizing that relationship into something that uh, starts to resemble that famous marriage that a co-founding relationship is, right? Yeah. And then, you know, obviously you're at the same time building the actual business you uh want to go after I and mean, in testing initially and at some point you kind of start to narrow down on what it is you you're going to build yeah and and then typically this is the stage where our investment committee happens and you know we we figure out if if we want to partner up with, yeah. with this team on this business yeah uh, we are a extremely team-oriented investors. So we are not thematic, we're not hypothesis-driven. We are very much focused on finding great teams and supporting them. So we start yeah. from the founders. Yeah. We're not hypothesis-driven, we're not thematic in the same in the way that most VCs are. Yeah. Uh, so it's always like, you know, it, obviously we evaluate the business model and we evaluate the founders. And if we have doubts about the business model, it's fine if we really like the founders. Yeah. So, you know, given how in, incredibly early it is, there's always going to be pivots. Business models change. A fantastic team will find the way. Uh, a, a, you know, an okay or average team will never build a fantastic business. Yeah, so That's agree. kind of the philosophy there. So agree. So agree. And um, coming back to your... To, to the activity of the fund, right? 300 startups. So, so 300 investments, right? 300 investments so far. Uh, that's in the that's last... Right. Globally, that, globally. Globally, yeah. right? During the last yeah. three years. That's right. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty intense. Uh, and, uh, but, but so, you know, I've been talking about this program structure we have. So just to be very explicit and clear on that, hmm. right now we have programs in 15 locations and each location will will be sort of generating uh, 20 to 30 companies per year. So the run rate is actually to have uh, 300 companies every year yeah, yeah, yeah. right now. Yeah. And then, I mean, we will keep on. There's, there's fantastic locations that we want to enter ASAP. Tel Aviv, mm. Paris, yeah. you know, uh, Latin America, several locations. There's like you know, amazing startup hubs where that are just like ripe for us to enter, if you will. So, so yeah, yeah. we are, we are working hard to find the right um, kind of lead partner for that location. That's always where it starts finding a fantastic person to build it. Yeah. Yeah. You so if ever, anyway, if someone's listening to this at some point, yeah. then, you know, feels like that could be you Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to build a, you know, ant location, team, fund, etc. 
um, you know, ring us up. Yeah. And, sure. uh, and by the way, uh, one thing I want to mention is we are very heavily focused on building one platform, but with separate independent teams. So, yeah. you know, it's not a franchising model. I sometimes get that question since we've been expanding so fast. Okay. Not at all. We do kind of carry sharing across different regions and it's very much operated as a one platform, yeah. uh, but with independent local teams. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very much in our DNA to help each other. I like that. Uh, like just to give you a very concrete example, like, you know, we expanded very early to, uh, to Australia and we have several, uh, you know, uh, great portfolio companies like Ribello, like Volopay, which, uh, you know, wanted to expand into Australia early. And then the fact that we, you know, have a team there that can help, maybe most important is helping them hire the country manager. Yeah. And then you have business development, you have fundraising, getting support there is tremendously valuable, you know, and, and many players can't uh, give that support. So yeah. that's like one micro example about of a of a broad theme because that's one thing. If we go back to the founding days, that's one thing we said in the very beginning: we want to build a global platform. Yeah, uh, we don't want to do a local uh, local play okay. by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, that is uh, that's amazing. So you mentioned a, f- a few interesting things, right? You talked about uh, certain markets that are ripe, which I think is mm-hmm. very interesting, especially coming from the Southeast Asia region, right? Uh, look at the VC space globally, uh, RIPE was always the US. RIPE was, uh, or is, is still uh, China, of course, and then Europe, of course, is also RIPE. Um, then talking about Southeast Asia, I think it's, it's beginning to ripen uh, in that sense, right? With right. Uh, interesting right. things going on. I mean, uh, I think Grab's spec has been a catalyst for a lot of things, uh, a lot of capital flowing into the region. Uh, what are your thoughts, uh, especially because you're heading uh, the Asia, Asia part of Antler, like what are your thoughts I mean, it's maybe an open door, but just have, love to have your just way of thinking. Like, what are your thoughts about the, the VC and investment space within, within Southeast Asia? Um, how do you see it in the coming five years? How do you see it develop? Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I think, um, first of all, I, I always uh, you know, like to think about it so that there is no Southeast Asia. There are uh, kind of independent diverse countries that are not at all the same as each other if you go to europe whatever nordics where i'm from like sweden norway finland you know when you're there you like to think oh it's different but it's it's really not that different right here is totally different um indonesia as a as a startup market obviously starting to to ripen in some sense uh, Vietnam, much more nascent. We just entered uh, Vietnam. We're actually also just uh, going to announce an, uh, you know, uh, our entry to Indonesia. It might actually be out by the time uh, this one uh, this one will come out. Awesome, awesome. Um, so, so uh, very excited, but very excited about both of those markets. But one thing where you do see um, where where you can think about Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia is, of course, the capital side of things where, you know, international capital is more and more coming in. Um, the, the, the people that are going to be most squeezed, if you will, 
uh, is going to be the traditional Series A players who were kind of the, the first wave of uh, VC capital in the market. They need to totally rethink their game, I think, mm. because you have the, the global players coming in, you know, Lightspeed just sent in a partner, Akshay, great guy. Uh, you know, a, a you know, Andreessen Horowitz is uh, also starting to make moves. Head of Sofia, you know, and then a lot of people making remote deals as well, like looking at the market. Um, so there's so much more capital coming in, which leads to competition both with access as well as valuations. Mm. So you know, I, I no, I don't want to name any funds that are you know gonna be screwed, but. Uh, you know, there are certain types of players that have to work hard to renew themselves. Mm. Uh, I'm, I consider ourselves lucky in the sense that uh, for us, this is purely good, right? Mm. So in the sense that there's just more capital available, which yeah. is effectively with you. I mean, a lot of people talk about capital as if that's the goal. Bullshit, right? I mean, it's just fuel in the tank yeah. for founders to do the really you know, important part, which is building the business, right? So, you know, capital is just capital. And, and you know, in that sense, it's, it's fantastic for the ecosystem and it's fantastic for founders that, you know, capital will not be the constraint to, to build a great business. Yeah, um, no, so true. And I think um, what's always interesting, right? I think you're so right. Uh, you know, you're in the fuel business in that sense, um, because at the end of the day, you give it, you give it the, you put it in a car or which you believe will go the furthest right will have the most, most right. impact so in that sense as a vc your uh, kpi so to say your kpi towards your lps will of course be different or slightly different than the guy or the girl that's running the car yeah so how do sure. you how do you balance those two because i think the moment that you put fuel into a car then the car is of course also yours right but that car could maybe you know drive at a certain speed because it's uh more efficient that way uh but at the same time maybe the lps say hey man i want that car to drive really fast and really you know it needs to be there it needs to be at the destination tomorrow how do you kind of like balance those two looking you know operating as an as an investor but at the same time you're like really partnering up giving these these entrepreneurs an ecosystem almost to to build their you know their dream business how do you how do you balance these two needs Needs of the investors, fund investors, yeah. and yeah. needs yeah. of the founders. Yeah, uh, I think that needs to happen with a kind of a clear upfront strategy of communicating uh, your plans and strategy with the LPs. Mm. I, I think it always needs to be. Uh, probably sounds cliche by now, but founders first, in the sense that you know we we need to do. Uh, or let's put it like this, we should never do anything that can ha harm the prospects of, of the founder uh, and founders and then somehow the company. Yeah. So the, the, I will never be there to steer a company towards uh, an exit just because, you know, our LPs uh, would want the liquidity event for their whatever needs. I mean, that would yeah. be the wrong way to go about it. Uh, there's a reason that general partners are there to make decisions and, and then limited partners provide the capital and get uh, financial returns. Uh, if you don't trust the general partner, then 
don't partner up in a way, yeah, right? Yeah, true, true, true. Um, true. But it's a very, uh, very important question. And I think there's probably people who don't have those discussions, um, you know, well enough up front. Um, so, you know, very important, like you say, exits used to be a problem in the region. I guess they're now becoming less yeah. of a problem. Yeah, yeah. Um with the SPACs and all and, and whatever, you know, all of the different, uh, you know, deals and, and all that, yeah. that fuels. Um, the good thing with uh, our model uh, is that we are not constrained by this because of how we operate, how early we go in. Yeah. Um, we can even exit with secondaries at, yeah. you know, extremely high multiples. We just had a case where, we could exit at 64x, 64, just with secondaries. It's um, almost like an NFT, man. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you know, don't want to do that. I'm always uh, a good friend of mine, uh, a partner at Sequoia. He always talks to me about how, you know, the biggest the biggest mistakes in VC history are. Um, are selling too early so yeah, yeah 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 always try to have that in the back of my head when analyzing the situation like you know this is the this is venture capital risk capital yeah we don't we, we're not there to play it safe and yeah. you know de-risk because it's yeah. always like well maybe we should de-risk a bit yeah um yeah if you if you want to de-risk then for Why that. are you in the game, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. It, it's such a good point, right? And and I once read that uh, uh, Mark Andres uh, once said, once made the comparison between uh, VC investing, you know, being a venture capitalist, uh, that it's similar like being a professional poker player. Right. Where, right. where, there, where there, of course, is an element, there is an element of risk. And like you said, it's it's venture capital. It's, it's risk capital, right? But... But at the same I actually time, used to play poker before. There you go. Interesting. There you and go. Other, <laughs> and other, other games as well. So it's <laughs> fascinating. But, but, but um, uh, yes, it's risk capital. And, and for sure, uh, don't, don't sell too fast. Don't sell too early. But how do you, how do you kind of like, what are, you, what are the key metrics for yourself, for example? Like just looking at an investment and uh, let's say you get offered 64x for, for, for that initial investment that you did, which is, you know, amazing, amazing ROI. I think LPs would be very happy. Yeah, then there's like the decision to make, right? Either we, we keep it or, or, or we sell. So, so what's kind of like your, what are your key metrics for yourself to come to a decision? I understand it's a much bigger, bigger discussion with, with IC, et cetera, et cetera. But, but just for you personally, like what are kind of like your key KPIs so to say, to come to a yeah. deal or no deal or go or no go. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating topic because, you know, it, it should be much, much more important uh, and much more impactful discussion than the investment decision mm. is the yeah. exit decision. Yeah, yeah, so if you yeah. just think about the financial, uh, you know, value at stake, and I'm not sure if everyone does it uh, with, you know, the equal rigor, but um, the the way I've tried to think about that is to have kind of, in some sense, like guiding rules. So, for example, we've now set this um, rule internally that we don't sell uh, until we're at a hundred x per investment. Oh wow! And and, and even then, we start de-risking 
uh, only partially. Uh, see, there I said it again. I said de risk. Yeah, 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 you go, man. You go. Yeah, but, uh, but of course, like uh, some LPs prefer to get some liquidity earlier. So it's always, uh, like I said, you have to have that discussion. Yeah. But uh, then when you have those rules you've set up uh, in advance, you, in a way, yeah, then you, that helps you manage also yourself in those difficult situations. Yeah, yeah. It can be very tempting to to uh, sell and, uh, you know, have an early liquidity event in that sense, uh, even though it long-term would not be the right thing to do. Hmm. So, you know, self-management is a very important kind of skill and, and thing to realize that... Um, you have to set guardrails for yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of the one of the lessons of that article specifically was more about um, uh, not turning off your emotions, but kind of like balancing the emotional part of investing. And and, and I think especially yeah. the business that you guys are in, which is very early stage, you really build a relationship with all these founders, so it becomes very emotional. And on the other side is the mathematical uh, formula. It's, it's pure exactly. your Excel sheet, which says like go or no go. And try just trying to balance these two is, 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 is I think that's the, where the, uh, the magic touch uh, is, right? The incentive problems are fascinating here because like, you know, let's say I have an in investment that could re would return the entire fund, okay? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, no one will ever blame me for selling until that company is 5x that mm, and yeah. then your lps are gonna say well so what happened here yeah. 5x the fund yeah and then uh at the same time uh what if what if it fails so then then your lps are why didn't you sell so yeah, like, yeah. it's it's all about alignment making making the you know decisions together it, there's a reason why you would have uh kind of LP, LP, you know, advisory committees and, and have those discussions uh, with your anchor LPs to make sure we're on the same page. Yeah. Um, but it's also, it's, it's an interesting point that goes back to the very beginning of setting up your fund, uh, you know, the fundraising part where you also have to be careful that you have the right type of LPs that yeah. fit what you want to do as a GP, right? Yeah. So, yeah, and I think that's it's always the interesting parallel between uh, startups that are raising for cash versus uh, VCs that are raising from LPs, and it's a, it's a very yeah. similar type of journey that both uh, that everyone in the ecosystem is 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 going is walking right. And how has that changed for for Antler? Like, just I can imagine like two years ago, uh, you guys uh, who's Antler, no one knows, right? You're knocking on mm. doors. You're knocking on doors. Uh, you know, we want to. You have some cash. We want to invest in the tech ecosystem in Southeast Asia. Like, how, how has it changed for you? I mean, I can imagine now in, in all these different countries that you are active, 300 investments. Oh, how has it, how has it been? Like, just comparing, comparing your fundraising like two years ago and, and, and now if you raise new funds, like, how is it, um, how, how, more e how easier is it now? Yeah, well, yeah, it is easier, <laughs> um, but it's not easy. Right. So when you have uh, performance metrics and, you know, especially when they look good, uh, it makes it so much easier. And then, but at the same time, it's always, especially with 
you know, how many new funds are entering that market, um, effectively selling, like, you know, it's just, it's a B2B sales process, uh, which, uh, by the way, is something that does carry over from uh, the corporate days of managing sales teams and all. I mean, it's a, that, that is a very analogous uh, process, right? Mm. Mm. But it's a numbers game and you, ha- you just have to knock on enough doors and talk about what you do. Uh, but it's a lot easier when you have something to show. Although it's fascinating when raising the first fund, you always have that interesting novelty thought, especially with a model like ours, where it's like, oh, this is not uh, traditional venture capital. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Some people are like, ah, I don't like it. You have a program and oh, that's awful. And then some people, some people are like, interesting, you actually support founders from day zero. I love it. And then, you know, that, that there was that interesting novelty concept and maybe that's uh, wearing out a bit. But, you know, at the same time, when you do have, we have a much bigger system, support network and portfolio companies. And, you know, it's, um, you know, it's better. But I can tell you the getting to the first close of the first fund was a horrendous grind, right? So I'm glad we're, we don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, uh, it, it's with, with, with everything that you start, right? I think uh, this, uh, this first sale that you make as a, as a startup founder or the first fund that you raise as a, as a, as a venture capitalist, I think at the end of the day, is the same because, <laughs> because there's not a lot of traction that you can, that you can show, right? Like to de-risk, to de-risk their, uh, their investment in you or to de-risk the... Uh, the fact that a customer is buying from you. So I think at the end of right, the day, right. I think a lot of people don't know this, but at the end of the day, we're all grinding the same way, right? We're all grinding. Exactly. And we all need to knock on freaking thousands of doors before like one or two people say, okay, I'm going to write you a check of a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's the, that's the thing. I always try to tell uh, founders to also have some empathy for VCs because it's <laughs> always the other way around. And you know, many you know, VCs come across as idiots and, and arrogant bastards to many founders. Um, but you know, at least when you look at uh, smaller firms or look at the, the founding partners, like you know, first of all, we're all entrepreneurs just like you. And then secondly, like for example, when you talk about the pain of fundraising for your startup. Nothing compared to the pain of fundraising for a fund because I need to convince like 10x more people and, uh, you know, complain to me when you've had 100 people like, uh, (laughs) you know, say no to your face. I mean, I'm not trying to say fundraising for your startup is easy, but um, it's also tough (laughs) on this side of the fence, right? Yeah, which which I think like uh, the golden rule is just reject eat rejections for breakfast, right? I think we should never let yeah. rejections in whatever shape, type, or form hold us back from actually the path that we're on. And uh, it's the same for yeah, PCs, yeah. it's the same for startups. I think it's just as an entrepreneur, uh, at the end of the day, we're all entrepreneurs. Uh, it's something to uh, to live by, something to live by, right? Yeah. Um, no, exactly. The one thing I want to say about that topic, although, is one thing I'm very um, disappointed in if you look at the Southeast Asia VCs mm. is how frigging slow they are. Mm. It's, I, I, you know, I work very closely with the, you know, most of our, uh, you know, founders and, and companies raising, especially the later rounds. And it can be like 
it's insane that the no takes seven weeks to get like yeah, 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 yeah. just so bad for the founders yeah um so you know if any vc is listening have some more respect work faster work faster <laughs> Yeah, it's not that. It's more like, oh, this is a problem for next Thursday. Let me think about it then. And then it's just like on the other side, you have that poor founder being like, oh, when are they going to come back to me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, it, and I think, think, yeah, uh, I think even there, it's like a lot of the times, like these founders take things personal and they start to become like insecure and like, oh, like all these five PCs, they never reply to me. Oh, maybe my, my start just yeah. sucks. And I think it's, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a genuine source of value towards founders to be there kind of, I've always told the guys I work with closely that just call me anytime. Yeah. My wife didn't like it. I was on leave uh, for a couple of weeks recently. And, you know, every day I still talk to the guys who are in the heavy fundraising mode and uh, yeah. like, call me anytime. My wife was like, nah, you should please. <laughs> but it's more important that way. And that's a genuine source of value. The guys yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah. Even though there's no content support there and they yeah. can just bounce something off you. And yeah. even if you don't say anything, just listen and yeah. let them come to the conclusion themselves. Yeah. Um, it, it's valuable to them. Yeah, I think that's that's so important. And just looking back at my own journey, I think I would definitely really appreciate, you know, as, as young founders or startup guys you know if you ha even have that counseling element you know like just someone who can just listen to you listen to you all the all the all the stuff that you need to go through and all the sweat and tears that are um that are being sacrificed um and you see so we're we're going to the end of the uh, of the interview so i have like uh, two final questions for you um having invested in 300 companies um you of course have your own algorithm like i said of you know choosing what entrepreneur to invest in what would you what would you define as key characteristics, let's say uh, three key characteristics of, of entrepreneurs um, that would make you invest in them? I, I know an Antler as a whole is very like team oriented, very people oriented. Uh, what three characteristics, three characteristics would you name as in you know, key ingredients to make you quote unquote fundable? From a team point of view? Yeah. Yeah, this one is quite clear to me. I mean, there's many more, but I would say clarity of thought, mm. um, then learning mindset. I mean, with this, I mean like fluidity. I, I mean that you're you're always adjusting yeah. what you do based on new information. There's a lot of people out there who's like, oh, I'm going to go to this direction. And uh, no matter if there's a wall, and then you have these startup memes where someone in one million, like, one person in a million managed to actually go through that wall. So then that's the hero and everyone tries to do the same where there's actually, you could just, there's like a road besides that wall. So we yeah. just take the road. Um, and then the third one is speed. Mm. So meaning speed with everything you do. I love, we have one team called Zanpool where I love the founder. He's, absolutely amazing the the ceo i mean both founders are great and i want to give him a shout out for the fact that they do everything with extreme speed so for example their monthly investor letters or like updates used to come always a couple of hours into the the, the first day of the next month 
Uh, to the extent that I remember once having been in Finland, which is five hours away from time zone wise from, uh, you know, Singapore. And I still got the December uh, investor update when it was December in Finland. Mm. So I, I was like, that's uh, that's so cool. Like, because yeah. that speed compounds when yeah. you do everything you do with speed, you can get so much more done. Mm, mm, mm. I love that. I love that. So, uh, you know, clarity of thought, fluidity in your thinking and learning mindset and speed. Love it. I love it. All right, uh, you see, we come to the final question of this interview. Um, we fast forward into the future, far away into the future. And I'm trying to look up Antler. Uh, I cannot see anything. I don't find anything on Google. I try to look up UC Salovara. It's an empty page, except three bullet points. And these three bullet points are the life lessons that UC wants to be uh, remembered by. What would those three bullet points say? Um, have empathy for founders and, and, you know, be, be close to them, uh, understand them. Then I, this is by the way, from, uh, from, a kind of like a VC, VC point of view. Um, then also like the second is from, a from a VC point of view is don't be arrogant towards founders because VCs are kind of built up with uh, a notion that they always have to have a view mm. and then they start kind of uh, enforcing that and you know then the founder is often sitting there is like what do you know my business this is the first meeting or the second meeting um, and then the third one is uh, maybe more of a pure life thing which is just uh, be be close to people, including your friends. Mm. I made the mistake many times that I I just throw myself too much at work, and and suddenly you realize where the heck did everyone go? Mm. So luckily I have my family and and you know friends, but that's a big risk. So I guess it all comes down to people. Uh, if you think about all of those three, I love and it. And I suppose that's the way life lessons should be. That is, uh, that is so true. I love it so much. Uh, I think especially the last one, I think uh, people is kind of like the red line into, into everything that we do, right? We build our relationships, we build companies, we invest in people, uh, we invest for people. Uh, so That's right. uh, if, we, if, we, if we can manage people, then I think we'll, we'll do really well in life. Uh, UC, I want to thank you so, so much for, um, for sharing, man, for sharing your wisdom, sharing your experience. I'm excited. Uh, on where Antler is going in the coming years, especially since you know you just have been three years old. It's already been 300 investments. Uh, so I'm excited for what the future will bring. Thank you so much for sharing, and I uh, hope to see you uh, in real life. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Uzi. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please share this with a friend that you think would be inspired. Also, make sure to subscribe to the Manage of Cashflow podcast over on Apple and Spotify. And I'd really appreciate if you can leave a rating and review on Apple and let me know what your biggest takeaway is of this episode. I want to leave you with this final thought. My mentor once told me, rejection is the first thing you learn in entrepreneurship. And I truly believe that how you handle rejections will determine how high you will go. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. And I hope to see you in the next episode.